well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Obviously, the uh, big topic today, Joe Biden's, quote, initial actions uh, when it comes to firearms, including uh, asking the Justice Department to look into the issue of, quote, unquote, ghost guns and how to regulate home-built firearms. Uh, Also, directing the Department of Justice to issue a report within 60 days on stabilizing braces, Uh, in a uh, pretty transparent attempt to try to place uh, AR-style pistols and uh, other pistols that use stabilizing braces onto the National Firearms Act uh, as uh, short-barreled rifles. And then I I think what is the uh, really the biggest announcement from Joe Biden, the nomination of uh, former ATF agent and longtime gun control activist David Chipman to actually head the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. David Chipman is not being promoted from within. No, no, he, he left the ATF about 10 years ago, and he went to work for Mayor Michael Bloomberg and the uh, gun control group Mayors Against Illegal Guns. Spent a couple of years at uh, uh, Shot Spotter, uh, which is a company that uh, you know sets up uh, these things that are supposed to uh, detect the sound of gunfire. And then he started working for Giffords uh, as a senior policy uh, advisor, basically a high-level lobbyist for the Giffords gun control organization. And that's where he was this week when Joe Biden said, uh, hey, you know what? We're going to pluck you from that gun control group. We're going to try to insert you there at the top of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives. So Larry Keene, the uh, senior vice president and general counsel of the National Shooting Sports Foundation, sat down with me to talk about Biden's initial actions uh, as well as the nomination of David Chipman to run the ATF. And uh, here is what Larry Keene had to say. Larry, thanks so much for joining me on the program. It's good talking with you today, sir. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you, Cam. How are you? Uh, I am okay. Uh, all right, let's just get right to it. Uh, your reaction to uh, the announcement of uh, Joe Biden's initial actions uh, dealing with firearms, including the uh, the nomination of former ATF agent gun control activist, uh, alumni of Mayors Against Illegal Guns, and most recently Giffords, David Chipman, to head up the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Farms, and Explosives. Well, we knew the president was going to take executive action at some point, so it's going to happen in about a half hour. Uh, they've outlined what they're going to do uh, in a press statement yesterday or last evening. So they're going to order... ATF to promulgate regulations on um, so-called ghost guns, redefining when an object is a frame or receiver and therefore regulated under the Gun Control Act. And ATF has a long-standing definition of frame or receiver and a long-understood and well-understood definition. And so when something isn't quite yet to that point in manufacturing, it isn't a frame or receiver, and ATF has no jurisdiction. That's where the phrase 80% receiver came from. It's a cool, you know, it's not a legal term, uh, but it kind of describes that the object is, you know, 80%, but not to the point where it constitutes a frame or receiver. So now ATF is going to move that line to the direction of the White House, and that will create significant 
issues for the industry and the manufacturing process about when something becomes a frame or receivable because a receiver, because that's when the regulations kick in, marking requirements, serialization, record keeping. And then for the DIY, uh, DIY people who make firearms at home, which is something we've been allowed to do in America since the founding of the country, that's going to change and alter that significantly because apparently they're going to require that these be serialized. So these companies that make these items that have not heretofore been regulated will have to have a manufacturing license, will have to serialize them, will not be able to sell them direct to consumers, and they'll have to be sold through FFL subject to a background check. So they are, you know, extending, will extend what constitutes a firearm, and they were essentially rewriting law, uh, and it seems potentially usurping the role of Congress to write the laws. So that's one issue. Um, they're also going to revisit the issue of uh, stabilizing arm brace equipped pistols, which ATF has authorized and said is legal uh, under the law. As you know, they started looking at that issue and trying to develop a standard at the end of the Trump administration and abandoned that effort. So it appears that they'll have to uh, blow the dust um, off of what they pulled the plug on in December and revisit that issue. But uh, ATF has said that races are legal. Um, so I'll have to wait and see what they plan to do. But the challenge there is that they could overnight turn hundreds of thousands or millions of Americans that have, uh, have these brace-equipped pistols into felons overnight if they declare them to be short-barrel rifles. And it will no doubt expose industry members to lawsuits, um, like, for example, in Boulder, where they'll probably sue the manufacturer and claim that they illegally sold a short-barreled rifle in violation of the National Firearms Act, which, of course, isn't the case. They were legal to sell, according to ATF. So that's another can of worms that is being opened up. They're going to look at model red flag law. I mean, you know, there have been efforts to do that in the past. The Obama administration offered to help the states. States don't appear to need any help to draft these laws. They have, you know, quite a number of states have enacted so-called red flag laws or sometimes called extreme risk protective orders. The problem is that not one of them has substantive, adequate due process for the gun owner. So they can take your firearms without a hearing before they do it. They can make you wait weeks and weeks and weeks before you have a hearing. They can seize your firearms. How do you get them back? Um, so these laws are very problematic. Um, and we're starting to see them be overused, it appears, in some places like uh, in Maryland, for example, where there have been hundreds of these extreme risk protective orders entered. And I have a hard time believing that the mental health of that county in Maryland is that bad that they need hundreds of these orders. And that's one of the fears we have. And now, turning to the nomination of Mr. Chipman, uh, it is beyond the pale. Uh, to be charitable. Imagine, Cam, the uproar if President Trump had nominated me or a CEO from industry or somebody from the NRA to run ATF. That's precisely what they've done. They've named an individual who for about a decade now has been a gun control advocate as well as, a, as I believe, a lobbyist advocating for 
restrictive gun laws on behalf of first every town in now Giffords, which was founded by former Congressman Gabby Giffords and her husband, the current senator from Arizona, Mark Kelly. So that is just beyond the pal. Uh, and I'm waiting for the mainstream media to start asking questions about that. Maybe it'll do it today at the event in the Rose Garden uh, in a little bit. But somehow, I think he's going to get a pass on that. Clearly, this is very troubling to the industry and really sets back, uh, you know, joint cooperative safety initiative between the industry, the firearms community, and ATF. And I think, honestly, the men and women of ATF who have a dangerous job enforcing the gun laws deserve to have a leader who doesn't have a political agenda. Absolutely. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right as well in noting that if President Trump had uh, had done the opposite, if he had, uh, you know, appointed you uh, as the uh, the head of the ATF or, or named, uh, you know, somebody uh, higher up in another Second Amendment organization. I mean, I joked about Donald Trump should nominate me to uh, to run the ATF. Because it was a joke, you know, the idea that uh, that, that Donald Trump would uh, nominate a Second Amendment advocate to uh, head up that position. You're right. There would have been a firestorm of controversy. Uh, and yet even Fox News in its initial reporting described David Chipman as a gun safety advocate. They never brought up any of the quotes that uh, David Chipman has made uh, as recently as, you know, last year when he mocked the millions of new gun owners. Uh, in this country by saying that they were afraid of zombies. Uh, and, you know, his, his, he was concerned. He, he had no problem with governors declaring gun stores to be non-essential businesses and closing them uh, because, gosh, you know, why do these freaked out people need to get a hold of a gun anyway? I mean, his attitude, as you say, is not just one of a, a nonpartisan law enforcement officer. He has been a partisan in favor of restricting the right to keep and bear arms for years now. And, you know, he's entitled to his opinions, but I don't see how he is qualified, given his background and his public position and advocacy, qualified to run ATF. And I would add to that, he has, to my knowledge, never run a large organization with a multi-billion dollar budget. So I don't think he's qualified in that grounds alone. And if the president wants ATF to draft regulations, changing the definition of frame or receiver. Well, I would point out that Mr. Chipman was employed by the Gifford Center when it sued ATF over this precise issue in federal court in San Francisco, a case that is still pending. So even were he to be confirmed, which I highly doubt, he would be, in my opinion, disqualified and conflicted from ever having any involvement in that reg writing by ATF. All right. Now, you said something really important here. You you doubt that he will be confirmed. Uh, it would only take 51 votes to do so. Um, do you believe that he is going to have a, a, a bruising confirmation fight? I don't think my guess is he never has a vote on the floor of the Senate because I don't think he's confirmable. I don't think it will be agreeable to senators like Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema and others um, for for the administration to so politicize this important law enforcement office. It is so beyond the pale. I think even Democrats will have a, have an issue with this because what happens then when the Republicans take the White House? That's a great question. Those are outcomes around. And 
it is just so beyond the pale. Well, and yeah, you know, I've actually got a piece at DeBarian Arms talking about um, how the uh, let, let's say the, the the more strident wing of the Democrat Party also should have problems with David Chipman because. You know, you've got these folks who say, look, we need to focus on de-policing. We need to focus on de-incarceration. Uh, we're putting people in prison uh, for, you know, nonviolent offenses. Well, that's David Chipman's entire ideology. I mean, he said in a uh, Reddit Ask Me Anything thread last year that he believes one of the most uh, valuable things we could do would be to start prosecuting more people for carrying a gun illegally in places like New York City or Los Angeles or Chicago, where it's very difficult to legally acquire uh, a license to carry. Uh, David Chipman is part of that ban our way, arrest our way to safety uh, movement, which I think is diametrically opposed to what a lot of criminal justice reform Democrats are calling for. So I, I think, I, you know, I mean, I, I think you're right. Uh, that there are plenty of reasons for both Republicans and Democrats, different reasons, uh, depending on where you stand. But whether you're, you know, pro Second Amendment or you believe in criminal justice reform, David Chipman's not the answer. Well, and, and I would point out, while he was employed by the Giffords organization, and by the way, his his background and resume, you know, is still up on the Giffords site as of this morning. Giffords organization supported Black Lives Matter, which was causing the riots in American cities this summer. And the Giffords organization accused law enforcement supported defund the police and accused law enforcement of gun violence. Yeah. So this is who the administration is nominated to run ATF. I, I honestly believe the men and women of law enforcement at ATF deserve better than to have a leader who is so politicized and has a political agenda. Uh, listen, I'm right there with you, and I hope that uh, we start to hear those voices speak out. Now, now, I don't want to put the cart before the horse here. Uh, you know, the Justice Department has 30 days uh, to come up with their report on, uh, you know, unfinished frames and receivers, 60 days to uh, to, to release their recommendations for uh, stabilizing braces. But uh, I, I have to ask, I mean, uh, is the industry... Uh, weighing its legal options or uh, lawsuits on the table, depending on what the Justice Department comes out with with these proposals? We're going to have to wait. The devil's in the details, but you know, certainly we are looking at all options uh, to protect the interest of our industry and uh, the millions and millions of, of our consumers, law-abiding gun owners. So we're, we're going to look very carefully at what they put out. You know, these aren't really executive orders so much as they're like directives. This is all Today, apparently going to be more of a dog and pony show for public relations points because everything that they're, they said they're going to do could have been done with an internal memo. It didn't require a Rose Garden press event. So this is being done for, you know, to score cheap political points to advance their gun control agenda because I think they understand that they really don't have the votes in Congress to move any of the major pieces of gun legislation they're advocating for, such as repealing the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, banning modern sporting rifles, restricting the size of your magazine, and how much self-defense you're entitled to. Um, you know, the votes are not there to move that legislation. So you know, they're doing this to appease uh, Mayor Bloomberg and the gun control community. Well, uh, I, you know, they're certainly sounding uh, uh, happy notes, uh, the gun control movement is. And, uh, and I do think the nomination of David Chipman is a gift. Uh, to the uh, gun control lobby as well. David Keene, excuse me, not David Keene, Larry Keene. I got my Keens mixed up. Uh, General Counsel, Senior Vice President at the National Shooting Sports Foundation. As always, sir, I appreciate your time, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again very soon. 
And I just want to clear one thing up so there's no confusion. I am not applying for that job. <laughs> Thank you. We we I, I'm glad for that uh, correction. Larry Keene joining us from the uh, National Shooting Sports Foundation here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Now, it's important to note here, while Larry said, and I'm very interested to see what this confirmation uh, fight looks like, uh, he said he doesn't think it's actually even going to come up for a vote on the floor of the Senate because he doesn't think that Chipman can get 51 votes. Biden can still name David Chipman as uh, an acting director of the ATF without actually uh, uh, going through the confirmation process. Now, what's interesting is Biden could have taken that step. He could have just said, you know, uh, we're, 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 we're going to name David Chipman the acting director and I'll submit his nomination to the uh, uh, Senate at some point in the foreseeable future. That's not what he did. Uh, he announced that he's nominating David Chipman as the permanent director of the ATF, which, again, does require confirmation by the Senate, bare minimum 51 votes uh, to confirm David Chipman to that post. But it does set up the prospect uh, of a pretty bruising fight uh, over this nomination. You know, already Biden's uh, nominee for the director of Office of Management and Budget near Tandon ended up withdrawing her nomination because she could not get the votes to be confirmed by the Senate. Uh, and it may very well be that uh, David Chipman runs into that same problem. I hope that he does, quite frankly. And I would encourage gun owners, particularly those gun owners in West Virginia and Arizona, to contact their senators, uh, including Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Kirsten Sinema, uh, urging them to oppose uh, David Chipman's nomination. But, but as I said to Larry, uh, you know, look, whether you are a pro-Second Amendment conservative, whether you're a pro-Second Amendment uh, uh, Democrat, whether you are an anti-gun violence prevention advocate, there are lots of reasons to oppose Chipman's nomination. You know, Chipman is going to say all kinds of nice things, by the way, about uh, violence prevention efforts and how, you know, we don't need to uh, uh, try to arrest our way out of the problem. That's not what he's been saying for years. Uh, and again, there's there's a bit of a track record. And David Chipman is fully on board. I mean, one would sort of expect it as a former law enforcement official. David Chipman views things through a law enforcement lens. And his big idea, one of his big ideas that he brought up in that uh, Ask Me Anything thread on Reddit, he said, I don't think anybody should be allowed to buy a gun unless it's going through a commercial firearms dealer. Now, when he says, I don't think anybody should be allowed to do that, what he's saying is, I think it should be a crime to buy a gun from your neighbor. I think it should be a crime to buy a gun from a private seller. Not allowed means it's a criminal offense. And HRA, the Universal Background Check Bill that was passed out of the House a couple of weeks ago, comes complete with a federal sentence of one year in prison for anybody who would sell a firearm or transfer a firearm, even temporarily, uh, without going through an FFL to uh, run a background check beforehand. I mentioned again that uh, David Chipman also said in that same uh, Reddit Ask Me Anything thread that he believes one of the most important things that we need to be doing more of is arresting people who are carrying guns illegally. Now, on the surface, that might, so what? I mean, they're carrying a gun illegally. Yeah. Take Chicago, for example. 
in Illinois right now, the Illinois State Police, which are the, uh, the ones responsible for processing concealed carry applications, they have a backlog of tens of thousands of applications. It is taking, on average, more than 140 days to process these applications, far longer than what is allowed under state law. As a result, you've got people who are waiting for months, some of whom may live in a high-crime neighborhood, who are, look, they meet all the statutory requirements, right? They've gone through their, their training. They're just waiting for their permission slip from the government to be able to carry a firearm for self-defense in public. Do you think some of those individuals might be choosing to violate the law and carry anyway? Not because they have any nefarious intent. They're not planning on robbing anybody or carjacking anybody. They don't want to be the victim of a robbery or a carjacking. And they would rather risk getting caught illegally carrying a gun than being murdered right outside of their home. David Chipman believes those folks should be arrested too. Matter of fact, you know, uh, I, I talk about this in a, a piece, Ad Bearing Arms today, about why Democrats too should reject David Chipman. Uh, Emily Bazelon at Slate a couple of years ago wrote a uh, fantastic piece about spending months on end in Brooklyn's gun court which is where cases of illegally carrying a firearm without a license are, are, are covered. And what she found was that 70% of the defendants there, 70%, almost three quarters of the people who showed up in court looking at three and a half years in prison because they were carrying a gun without a license that they could not obtain in New York City, were young black men without serious criminal histories. David Chimmon thinks we need more of that, not less. So again, whether you're a Second Amendment supporter or you simply believe that we can't arrest or ban our way to safety, that we don't need more uh, policing, we don't need uh, more people in prison for nonviolent offenses, David Chipman's not your guy. All right, we're gonna, obviously going to have uh, much more coverage at BarryAndArms.com and right here on uh, Barry and Arms Cam and Company, uh, particularly uh, as these uh, Justice Department reports uh, come out and uh, the nomination of David Chipman uh, proceeds. Or not. We'll see what actually happens now that uh, Biden has made it official. In the meantime, let's get to today's Armed Citizen story. Our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We will start there with a case out of Ocala, Florida. Probation for an Ocala man in an armed robbery case. 22-year-old Giovanni Amani Gale pleaded no contest to robbery of the firearm this week. He was sentenced to six years of probation as a result. Uh, adjudication withheld by the uh, circuit judge, Anthony Tati, according to court records. As part of his plea bargain, Gail must testify truthfully against his co-defendant. He, by the way, was also given 655 days of credit for uh, time served. According to the Marion County Sheriff's Office, the victim alleges that uh, he and Gail were sitting in a car when somebody pointed a gun at his head. The victim said that the gunman demanded money, handed over the cash along with wallets. Uh, the victim said that he was hit in the face several times and that Gale and the alleged robber identified as a guy named Isaiah Michael Bruno then drove away in a vehicle. Gale told detectives that Bruno was the person responsible for the robbery and for punching the victim. He also said that Bruno was the getaway driver. Bruno has denied being involved in the holdup at all. He's charged with the robbery of the firearm. His case is pending. Uh, I, I don't like the fact that plea bargains are the primary mechanism by which criminal cases get resolved today. Something like 97% of felony cases end up in plea bargains. That's a huge issue. That needs to be addressed. But I recognize that that also is the way it is at the moment. So I'm not 
complaining necessarily about the plea bargain, although I don't like it. I am, however, complaining about the fact that the plea bargain resulted in no prison time for somebody who pleaded guilty to taking part in an armed robbery. I understand prosecutors want to go after Mr. Bruno, and uh, they need apparently the testimony of more than just the victim in this case. But no prison time whatsoever? Just a slap on the wrist and, uh, hey, uh, keep your nose out of trouble and and you're all good? Yeah, that, that to me seems like a recipe to see Mr. Gale uh, back before a, a court here in the not-too-distant future. Today's Armed citizen story from New York State, where a Monticello homeowner able to protect themselves against an intruder. is from the uh, Mid-Hudson News. They say the would-be robber, 28-year-old uh, Rashane Wilson, sustained a non-life-threatening gunshot wound, and his partner, 32-year-old Andrew Fogo, uh, apparently was unharmed but was with Wilson when the pair forced their way into a home and uh, confronted the uh, homeowner inside about a previous altercation. As Fogo and Wilson began beating the resident, another individual in the apartment fired a licensed gun, striking Wilson. The two men then fled and drove to a, a local hospital in a, a pickup truck. The individual who fired the weapon provided state police with all of his documentation. Again, legal gun owner acting in defense of another inside his own residence. So even in New York State, anti-gun politicians haven't figured out a way to make that a crime yet. Uh, Wilson treated and released to the hospital. Troopers took both men into custody, charged them with felony armed burglary, uh, both arraigned and remanded to the Sullivan County Jail in lieu of bail, which is actually uh, surprising given uh, New York's bail reforms. It's surprising that they are uh, being held without bail at the moment, but uh, I stress that that is only for the moment. Finally today, our good deed of the day from Chicago, where, as I mentioned, legal gun owners who want to carry in self-defense are being forced to wait for months. By the way, people who would like to legally buy a gun so they can eventually become a concealed carry holder are also facing those same delays because the FOID card backups are just as bad in Illinois as the concealed carry backups are. And so you do have a situation where literally tens of thousands of people who are legally eligible to purchase and carry a firearm, were it not for the fact that they don't yet have their government permission slip, are being forced to either go unarmed and defenseless or break the law by protecting themselves. The criminals in Chicago don't give a damn about these FOID delays. They don't care at all that people can't... Well, I mean, they probably love the fact that people can't get their concealed carry license in a prompt fashion. Not that they're applying for their own concealed carry license, because they're not. They don't care what those laws are. They're not abiding by them anyway. And violent crime is soaring in Chicago. And one of the latest victims, a, a toddler who was shot on Lakeshore Drive which is, uh, by the way, not exactly you know a, a high-crime neighborhood, but there really are no truly safe communities in the city of Chicago right now. Uh, this toddler was shot in a road rage incident downtown Tuesday night. And uh, CBS in Chicago says the uh, 21-month-old boy was a passenger in a car that was shot at over the course of two blocks uh, on northbound Lakeshore Drive near Roosevelt Road near Grant Park. child was shot in the face once in the temple, and once in the jaw, according to police radio communications. A family member then jumped out of that car, screaming for help, trying to flag down drivers on Lakeshore Drive. One car. 
and only one car stopped. His driver said he didn't think about it, said he knew he had to do something. And so he loaded the family in his car, total strangers, and he rushed them to Northwestern Memorial Hospital. The Good Samaritan said she had a baby in her arm and she was screaming and trying to get people to pull over. There were a lot of crying and screaming, my baby, my baby's been shot. She's standing there on the side of the road with the cars just whizzing by. I don't want to get involved in this stuff. And this Good Samaritan, who, by the way, does not want his name released, just wants to be anonymous, said they needed help. And it looked like nobody else was going to help them. He is now being credited with giving that uh, 21-month-old a fighting chance. He said, once they got in the vehicle, I knew where I needed to be. And it was just getting there as fast as I possibly could. I don't know who you are, sir. I don't know what your story is. But I do know that uh, we are grateful that you were in the right place at the right time and willing and able to do the right thing to help that family in need. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program today as well. Uh, listen, just a programming note. I'm sure I'm going to get some emails on this. Uh, you hopefully know by now, Friday's my day to uh, uh, stock up and try to you know plow forward and write for the weekend. So we haven't done a show on Friday in the past couple of weeks. Um, I'm supposed to take some vacation next week. More of a staycation. I'm going to be sticking around the house, going to be getting the uh, the garden and work. I've got a honey-do list as long as my arm, so I've got to take care of that stuff. So I'll be around if uh, stuff breaks and there's you know something hugely important we need to talk about. I'm not saying that there won't be a show next week. I'm saying don't expect a Barrier Arms Cam and Company next week. We will return the week after uh, with uh, more programming. But uh, don't worry. We are still going to be uh, updating BarrierArms.com. During my absence, I might even, I have a hard time taking a vacation. I really do have a hard time just walking away. So you might even see a story or two from me next week. But uh, in the meantime, don't forget to uh, continue to check out BarryAndArms.com, as well as subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss one of these programs when we're, when we're doing them, right? As we normally do each and every weekday, with the exception of Fridays. Uh, also, uh, Rumble.com, Barry and Arms Cam and Company. You can find us there. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the townhall.com podcast page. Look for the Baron Arms Cam and Company there as well. Until we speak again, I hope that you are well, that you are safe, and that you are free. And we'll see you soon with another edition of Baron Arms Cam and Company.